This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. We have from the great state of New York, specifically the Buffalo area, Mr. Tom Larson and we recorded two episodes today. I don't even know what next week looks like, but Kyle is out. His wife got President's Club again this year with ADP, which means I'll never be able to afford to bring her over as a producer now because it's only like eight years in a row. And they are he is in the air right now on his way to Hawaii. So um, he's going to be gone for eight days. I'm down three at this location right now. So mm. I was telling Tom right before we went live, that I have been issuing certificates and everything else known to man. Um, even with our automation, I've been doing that. But the one thing that this has forced me to do is go into Hawksoft and see exactly what's happening in there. Because if there is something I'm not good at, it is digging into the agency management system on a regular basis to make sure that that thing is as tight as it needs to be. And man, have I learned a lot this week. So it's going to be an interesting couple of months going forward. But the good news is it's not as bad as I thought it was. I just I, I wanted to open up and say that because I think that sometimes when people hear that you have a podcast or that, you know, you can put content out or whatever else, that everything's always rosy in your world. And that is not the case. It's just a matter of doing all of this stuff and keeping a smile on my face while yeah. I do it. Got y'all fooled. It ain't perfect here. (laughs) Anyhow, so I'm glad to have James on. I'm glad to have Tom on. These guys both know way more about insurance than I probably ever will. So I'm going to sit back and listen way more than I'm going to talk. But Tom, before we get ramped up, why don't you just sort of give everybody your background story and and how you got into the business and and talk a little bit about your agency and then we'll roll from there. All right. Um, yeah, I, I was, um, I was in the bar restaurant business, actually bought one when I was 23, bought my second one when I was 25, thought I had the world by the balls. And by 32, I was bankrupt because I had no mentors. I had no leadership, uh, person to follow or whatever. So uh, a good friend of mine, uh, owned an insurance agency and he said, well, why don't you come? work for me. Why don't you come sell insurance? And it was commission only. And so I refereed hockey on the weekends. I tended bar at a, a different bar uh, after I got rid of mine and uh, owned some rental property. 
and um, and sold insurance. So I had like four different streams of income. And then uh, for 12 and a half years, I worked for my friend Rick. And then his kids came into business and I said, well, the writing's on the wall. It's time for me to go do my own thing. So uh, next April 1st, it'll be 20 years I've been uh, owning my own shop. I, and he was supposed to release all my uh, accounts to me, and that never happened. So um, I didn't have anything in writing. Shame on me. Uh, nothing was in writing. So um, you know, I had to take my accounts one at a time. But luckily, I was in the... Uh, real estate uh, landlord niche and uh, most of those people did follow me because the agency I came out of um, didn't focus on that um, it was just me that was doing it there and so they sort of dropped the ball and, and a bunch of accounts and luckily uh, my people followed me so so that's my background my story so did you have experience in bars and restaurants or you just thought it was something you wanted to do and decided to um, when I, I I started working in one when I was 19. I, I went to college for one year um, because my, my dad was raising uh, five kids on his own since my mom had died when I was eight. Um, and uh, I had to pay my own way. And I think I ended up with a 2.0 average that first year. And I just said, you know what? College isn't for me. So. Uh, off I went to 10 bar and, um, decided in, uh, 1980. Um, let's see. I, I bought a duplex in March. I got married in April and I owned a restaurant in September. <laughs> Three big monumental, monumental things in, in one year. So. So I took a couple of things out of what you just said. Number one, kudos to your dad, man. Holy cow, five kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, was he a single dad the whole time you were growing up, or did he eventually yep. remarry? No, he, he, no, he, he, yeah, he didn't. Let's see, my youngest sister was five. My oldest sister was 11 when our mom died. And he never even brought a girlfriend or n nobody like that into the house. He was, let's see, he was... I think 60. So, so he was 40 when my mom died. I think he was 60 when he finally remarried and, uh, and then she died and he remarried again. And he, um, my dad died four years ago, but he buried his first three wives. Mm, that yeah. is, I mean, I, I get so much strength from him. He was never a yeller, screamer, nothing like that, but I get so much strength from the way he, um, just presented himself and he was just like a like a rock like a rock so well i can tell you man i have a lot of respect for that because i know what it's like when my wife travels on business for a week and most of the time i only have three of my four now grayson's obviously older now and um he can pretty much help me so it's gotten better as the years have gone on but all that to say, like, I'm ready to be done like a day in. So I can't even imagine <laughs> um, what that would be like. That was the first thing. The second thing is your story is not altogether different than mine, except I had like a little bit of adult in me before I made my stupid decision. And then I got back to being an adult again. But I mean, I, I talk about it. I don't ever really talk about the fact I owned a um, service company that I started from scratch. 
in between running grocery stores and and working with with Super Target. And so I um I actually worked in the grocery business for five six years in my early twenties, and that's when I realized I had it all figured out, knew everything about business, and I didn't need to work for the I didn't need to work for the man anymore. I was going to go yeah. work for myself. And so I went out and I started a landscape. I actually actually left running a grocery store and I went to work with a buddy of mine who owned a landscape company and I've worked with him for a little over a year. And then I decided I, I could do this better. And so I decided to go out and start my own. I was really good at uh, selling the deals. I was really bad at accounts receivable. And so um, that business actually still exists in Birmingham, Alabama today. I oh. gave it to my operations manager he took care of cleaning everything up, the debt, and I went back and I started working retail again. And I learned my lesson very, very quickly yeah. about how much easier it is to run a business that already has rules and, and policies and procedures in place versus right. having to go in and have nothing. So right. when I took my leap to start the agency six years ago, I'd already got my tail kicked enough that I wasn't going to make the same mistakes twice. So, right. Yeah, that's that's how I felt when I when I finally. Um, filed bankruptcy I, coming out of the powers and restaurants. I felt a little bit of a, like a failure. And, uh, but you know, I learned my lesson and, and part of the growth in my business has come from learning those lessons when, when you were an idiot and younger, you know. So. Yep. I get it. So talk a little bit about your agency, man. What's your mix? Are you kind of generalist? I mean, I know you, you do some stuff with Hab and all of that. What are, what are you focusing on? Probably a, a third of our business is habitational. Um, it started because I got involved in our local RIA group uh, for landlords. And uh, my buddy Nick, who, who ran the group, which it's now my group because he's, uh, I think Nick is like 72 now or something. But anyways, he gave he gave up on the group about seven years ago, so now it's my group. I run the group. But anyways, we have a, a New York only New York mutual company called New York Central Mutual, and they had, you know, going back twenty five years ago, they had the best rates for landlords. And at the meetings, there'd be you know seventy eighty people, and he would stand up in front and say, uh, "All my insurance is with New York Central Mutual, and and you got to go see Tom in the back of the room." and you know, I make an appointment and it'd be somebody that owned six properties or eight properties or whatever. And so on the appointments, I wasn't writing one policy. I was writing six, eight policies at a time. And that just has continued today. So, um, you know, we got landlords that own 40 properties. I was working on a vacant building this morning before, before this, before our podcast here, um, that somebody just bought yesterday. And he owns about, I don't know, he owns about 40 buildings, maybe. Um, so it's, it, it just has grown from there. And then a little sub niche is because I came out of the bar and restaurant business. I, I like those guys. I, I appreciate all they do. And so we have about maybe 25 bars and restaurants that we insure too. So I do all the commercial stuff in, in my office. I don't do any personal lines. I have three staff that does all the personal line stuff for me. So, so I would say like a third of our business is commercial and two thirds is uh, personal lines. So you've had, you've, you've had your agency for 20 years. When, when did the flywheel catch for you? Like every one of us goes through different struggles. I mean, the same struggles, but different timelines and things is where 
launching. Some are smoother than others. I probably right. made a lot of, a lot of mistakes that other people would have avoided when I launched mine. But I mean, it, it's a way to encourage other people that might be listening to this right now that are scratch agents that might be a year, two years in, and they're just because mm-hmm. I, I see it. Every day in the forums online, I see it. Man, I don't know if this is the right. career for me. I want to give up. I've right. been doing this for a year and a half or two years. Right. And I'm ready to be done. H- how long did it take before you could say, you know what? I think this is going to stick. I'm I'm really good. Um, I think it was about year four, maybe. Um, about year four. And then uh, what happened was my, my daughter was going to Boston College and in a year so that would have been in year six um she studied over in italy and what happened was um when when i left my prior uh, agency i bought a building so it was a single use office building it was just my agency in there so then six years in um i ended up selling the building uh i made fifty thousand dollars on the building so that's sort of when my my business really took off is when I got rid of the building, um, took the money, invested more money into my agency. And uh, and I, I would say between years four and six is where it really, really took off. And, and that's probably about when I ended up getting most of my old accounts back. So it would have been easier if he would have just signed off on all my accounts, which he agreed to do. Again, my stupidity, my ignorance, and not having something in writing, and so he, um, you know, I had to do it one at a time. So that was my my fault. It, it, I probably would have been quicker in the transition if he would have signed off because at the old agency, probably about a third of that business was mine. So in his business, which was probably about four and a half million dollar agency, and a third of that business was mine. So. Um, my fault for not, you know, following up with them on that. Well, it certainly would have made a significant impact on your cash flow if you would have had oh, that sure. in when yeah. you're when you're yeah. starting out, man. Yeah. I mean, that's instead of using yeah, instead of using credit cards, I would have had a cash flow right from day one. So you know, it's you know. it's funny because I think people again, you know, two idiots and a microphone can start a podcast, and for whatever reason, people place a lot of value on that. I don't. I shouldn't get credit for starting a podcast just maybe get credit for having the guts to put my story out there and at least right. try it but you know part of part of my problem with that is that um i think that it paints a picture of just perpetual success for people and i don't make any bones about it man like i have been i've been the guy that lived off of bat- uh, boxed macaroni and cheese and raw man noodles yeah. for a year year and a half I, I like mm-hmm. when I left my parents' house young to and, and ended up moving up and, and eventually just staying in Morgantown, West Virginia. I left with three hundred and fifty dollars in my pocket. My rent for three hundred and sixty dollars was due when I got there, and I got a speeding ticket for two hundred bucks on the way up there. <laughs> I was screwed before I ever started, man. And I worked, I worked two and three jobs and odd jobs, whatever I needed to do to be able to provide for myself as best I could and and make it. And I can remember, man, there, you know, even I can remember when I had the landscape company, if I heard like beep, beep, beep outside the door, I'm like going to the window to make sure somebody's not coming to tow my truck away and repossess it because I was so far behind on bills and everything else. So. You know, I want people to realize that, you know, when you, when you, when you 
when you can get past that, no matter how hard what you're going through is, you can get past it. And as long as you believe in yourself enough, there's really right. nothing in our industry that you can't accomplish. Right. I, right. I believe that. I'm an example of that. I have no business having any level of success. Hard work is what has gotten me to where oh, yeah. I'm somewhat successful, but it, I don't have it all figured out. But mm-hmm. I never forget that, man. That's probably one of the main reasons why I'm I'm so willing to spend time with newer agents or newer producers and, and yep. just help mentor them, coach them. That's one of yep. the, you know, I think about that stuff when I do the, um, when we do the protege and all of that, I, I'll never forget where I came from. And I think that right. some people, unfortunately, when they get a little bit of a taste of that success, they forget what those, what those days are like. Tom, it was so bad that... I didn't just eat the boxed mac and cheese. I boxed, I, I bought the box of macaroni and cheese. Then I would buy an extra box of just plain macaroni. I would cook it all together. And then I would put the sauce in and then add a cup of water to thin the sauce. So it would wow. go through everything. And my only treat was when it was payday and I had enough to buy a pound of ground beef. I would brown it and add it to it. Yeah. I literally wow. lived off of that. So, yeah. you know, I think that there's something to be said, you know, when people wonder what what does it take for you to make it in the insurance industry? It's a backbone and belief in yourself. That's it. If you have those two things, you can get the resources, you can make the connections and you can pretty much accomplish whatever you want. Yeah. And I would just add that if you if you also have a mentor, you know, it it makes life easier. So that's why some of these some of these groups on Facebook are great because. You know, you can say, Hey, do you mind if I message you or give you a call? You know, I have something I want to go through or go over or whatever. And I, I'm mentoring somebody now actually down in Florida and she's, uh, you know, she, she's already called me like three times and I love giving back. Um, um, you know, I agree with you, David, a hundred percent that, you know, we, we were all born into this business. You know, we have to start someplace. And I'm lucky that I found the insurance business. I really am. I love it. I'm so glad I found it, you know, for 32 years ago, whatever it's been now. Um, I'm so glad. I just, I, I love this business. So uh, my wife's been so, retired like eight, eight years now, I think, or no, nine years. She said, when are you going to retire? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe never. <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, I mean, what's the know, point? Yeah. You know, I mean, I just, you know. I could work from anywhere, really. Take my cell phone and take my laptop, and they don't know I'm not in my office. I can just work from anywhere. So, um, I just I think that's one of the coolest parts about this business is literally it provides you with the ability to have whatever lifestyle you want. Right. You're young, single, don't have a wife or kids, and you want to, you know, just sell your soul and go out and produce like an animal for five or six years before you settle down to do that. You can do that and make a pile of money. If yeah. you start young and have a family and you want to make a commitment that you're never going to miss the practice, the recital or any or the tryout or any of that, then it's going to provide that for you. And right. for me, that's the that's really the the the, the biggest attraction. I, I the work ethic is you know, in the number of hours that I work. It, it, the ability to, to do that has never been my issue in it, the desire to do that. I wouldn't say has been my issue, except for the fact my desire is to be the best dad and husband I can be first. So I can work 100 hours a week, and I don't have a problem doing that. But the insurance industry provides me the ability to not do that. You know, I still work a good, I still work a good week, but it's not, it's pretty rare that it's more than 50 hours in a week. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't miss practice. I don't miss right. the recital. I don't right. miss the tryout. We go away right. for long weekends. And that's what, that's what I need. I, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm going to be 50 in another year and my oldest son's already old enough that he could technically be out of the house. My middle son is not far behind him. And, you know, I, I just look at it as I'm not going to sell myself out to my job if I can do a good job and represent my clients the right way and still handle my business at home. Right. That, that yep. to me is where my priorities are. I want to switch gears with you for a second because huh. I know that you still play baseball today. And the reason yep. why I know that is because that's why you weren't in the mastermind last spring in Boston in, right. uh, in, in April of 2021. Right. Yeah. Yep. So talk a little bit about that, man. What's, I mean, did you play all the way through high school, college, all that? Um, I tried out in, in my one year in college. I tried out and didn't make the team. Um, but I did try out. Um, and then after that, I, I was playing fast pitch. I was catching fast pitch softball for probably 25 years, maybe 30 years, something like that. And then about maybe about 20 years ago, uh, a little over 20, I think, a Sunday morning baseball team started. And so I was playing fast pitch Tuesdays and Thursdays and hardball baseball on Sunday mornings. And then eventually, um, um, softball, the, the pitchers got older and there's no pitchers left around. And so two more baseball leagues started. So it, I was playing uh, baseball on Thursday nights, Friday nights, and Sunday mornings. Then the Sunday morning league folded. And then up until three years ago, I was playing Thursday and Friday and finally just gave up on Friday. I just, like, so I'm supposed to play tonight. But it's raining right now. It's a 45 and over league. But uh, the good news is Monday I go to Cooperstown for a four-day 40-plus uh, tournament. And this will be my 13th year in Cooperstown, I think. So I'll play a double-day field. And uh, it's just my wife goes with me, and she, she just enjoys it. There's only out of... 25 ballplayers, whatever, on my team. There's only one other wife that goes. It's like a guy's week, but she enjoys going. So she's uh, been accepted by all the guys, all the teammates of mine, and they just love her being there. So I'm married to one of those, too. Yeah. (laughs) I would would not be able to go on my own, and my wife is (laughs) – much better personality than I am. Everybody loves her, so I'm glad that she's along for the ride with me. Um, yeah, so that's, that's been a passion of mine since uh, you know since I was a kid. It actually started with my dad with Little League. He got me signed up when I was eight years old, and um, and it just it's just been. I played hockey too, but baseball's been my uh, my passion for since I was a little kid. So, so here's my question. What's the difference between catching baseball and catching fast pitch? Because those fast pitch pitchers are nasty. Yeah, they actually I enjoyed fast pitch more than baseball, um, believe it or not. Um, and we had uh, one of the pitchers in the last 10 years, he goes to nationals every year, and he's won national tournament probably four or five times. Here, here again, somebody that his arm is shot now, um, and Chucky's – I don't know, maybe 70 now, 71, something like that. But he was like a dominant, dominant pitcher. And one time, um, and it's, I'm probably going back about maybe eight or nine years ago, something like that. Um, he threw a no hitter and I caught it. And, uh, 
And after the game, somebody gave him the ball in a pan. He goes, no, no, no. My catcher signs the ball first. So he had me sign the, the, his, the softball first, but it, 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 you're right. It does. The ball comes in a lot quicker, but I really enjoy playing fast bit softball. Well, yeah. And it's just a different release point, different yep. movement. I yep. mean, I remember watching, um, I don't even remember who the two, two MLB players were based Jenny Finch and just she completely shut him down like it wasn't oh, really? close. Yeah. yeah it wasn't even close there were, yeah. I, I don't even i don't remember who it was but it was like two very well known and if you go on youtube you could probably find oh, it okay there. yeah so let me ask you that, and if i find it i'll send it to you but i try to okay. stay away from youtube during the week because if i get there then i end up in a rabbit hole and i don't yeah. get anything else done so <laughs> um let me ask you this though i mean it's interesting to me that so many catchers end up being major league managers. And I feel like it's because the leadership they take on the field, the way that they can control the game, they, they call the shots. Yeah. Um, and if the pitcher's smart, they let them call the shots. Right. <laughs> but I mean, how does that mentality and how does that position prepare you to come in and lead your agency or lead any business for that. I, 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 I agree with you. I think, I think you, you control what's going on in, in the field. So you're, you're almost forced into a leadership role when you're the catcher. Cause you gotta, if you know where the players like to hit, you gotta tell your outfielders, you know, move left or move right. Or this, you know, this guy can pound the ball, move back, whatever. And then, you know, you tell the, if you think the guy's going to bunt, you tell the first and third baseman, you know, move in. You know, this guy's going to bunt. He's bunted in the past or the last game we played or whatever. So all that stuff, you sort of have a mental um, remembering of what happened the last time you played the team or the last time this guy was up to bat or whatever. So it, it's it's a, not only a, a leadership, but it's also a mental game, too. So I think... I think that always plays into it, and uh, and when they say it's the tools of ignorance, I, I sort of disagree a little bit because uh, it's more than that. And plus, you're in every single play of of every game, so there's not a play that you take off. So, I think it's interesting now too because they they're cheating, in my opinion. Yeah. Because now these guys have have the cards that are in their back pocket right. to tell you where they hit it the last time, right. where the, you know, all the right. spray of where they normally hit and everything. Right. Yep. And I think that that's really, to me, that, that kind of, I'm a purist, man. I, I don't yeah. believe that they should ever take umpires out. I don't think they should have instant replay. I mean, does it change the game? It does. You know, of all of the things that they have done to sort of, I guess, advance baseball, if you want to call it that, Probably the one I think that makes the most sense is the timer in between innings and in between right. batters right. and stuff so that you can keep the game on pace because right. it is one of those things that if you let it, it could drag on a long yeah. time. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that they cheat a little bit. But, you know, to to your point, you know, again, you're given information or you remember information and then you use that to make informed decisions as you move forward. It's no different than what we do in, in, in business every single right. day. Right. Yep. And, you know, I was a pitcher. I was I, I pitched and I played first base. And specifically, I was a closer when I got to college because I threw hard 
and I didn't have a lot of endurance. I wasn't going to be able, I was never going to be a starter at that point. And, and mm-hmm. looking back on it now, my arm was already on its way out because yeah. I abused myself so much just <laughs> throwing, throwing hard and trying to throw curveballs too early and everything right. else. Right. But, yeah. you know, I, I just feel like that, that participation in sports and especially as the level progressed, prepared me for everything else that I was going to do. And and it became obvious to me more so in the insurance world. When I was, when I was in retail, you know, my last job, I had 275 people that reported to me when I was running my stores. I had a roughly a hundred, 150 people that were on payroll there. You don't, you don't get to know everybody like you do when you're in an agency environment. Right. Right. Oh yeah. But yeah, but to me, you know, just, the, the the mental the mental fortitude that you have to have and then just understanding what it's like to be on a team and the give and the take that goes with that it's very obvious to me in the business world what people grew up playing organized mm-hmm. sports and athletics yep. and which ones didn't and right. that goes all the way back to little league right oh yeah oh yeah yep. you have to be a good teammate you know you have to you know, roll, roll with the team and know, and know, you know, what, what they're about too. I mean, you, 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 it, and, and, and I, I look at, uh, my staff as teammates. Um, I really believe in my heart, I really believe culture in an office is everything. And, um, one bad apple could upset the whole bunch. And I truly, truly believe in culture and, we have a great culture now. We I didn't when I first started. Uh, a little bit toxic at first. Maybe hired the wrong people, but right now um, I got a really good, really good culture. And I think I think that also comes from being a good teammate when you played sports. So. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing it does is it teaches you to demonstrate accountability, right? Right. So. If I go out and I pitch and I don't throw a good pitch and somebody ends up hitting a walk off on me, whose fault is that? Really? I'm the one that didn't execute. I didn't, right. I'm the one that maybe didn't throw, hit the catcher's mitt where they were telling me to, mm-hmm. or maybe I shook them off. Right. You know, big no, no. Maybe I shook them off though. And I threw what I wanted to right. and the person parked it. Maybe it was like right. Bull Durham and the catcher told him what was coming after I shook him yeah. off. Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, I, I just I look at it and I think to myself, there are so many times where I look back and I, you can't hide, man. When you're on, when you're wearing the yeah. uniform and you got people watching you and you make a mistake, you can't hide. So you learn yeah. to take responsibility for that. That's the only way out is to say, mm-hmm. look, yeah, I get it, man. I, I screwed up. I own it. Let's move on. Let's figure out how to get the runs back. I'll pick you up when I'm at the plate, whatever. Yeah. And that's missing from business, not yeah. just dedicated to the insurance industry. Business and society in general. It's always somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you've been in the industry for 30-some years. I think that when you opened an agency, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I'm not going to tell you what I think. Do you think it's easier to open an agency 20 years ago when you opened yours? Do you think it's easier to open one today? Ooh, that's a tough Ooh, That's a good question and a tough one. Um I probably think it was easier 20 years ago. Um, I agree with you. So now we're on the same page and I can tell you why, but go ahead and give me yeah, I, I just think that um, I, I think there was more. It, it, what's been going on 
in the insurance world for whatever, 10 years has been a consolidation and companies buying companies and stuff like that. And I think, um, 20 years ago, I think it, it wasn't the case. And, um, everyone would give, especially the smaller companies would give uh, a newer agent a shot and say, okay, you know, we could, you know, we're going to give you, we're going to take a chance on you. Um, and I think it was easier 20 years ago than it is today. I think the other thing that made it 20 years ago easier than today is there were less distractions 20 years ago. Right. There's so much technology, so many programs. I mean, shiny object syndrome is at an all-time high yeah. in the insurance industry. And I'm one of those people that has the propensity to fall victim to that. So mm -hmm. I have to really consciously be careful what I devote my time into learning and researching and all of that. And, um, you know, I just feel like 20 years ago with none of that really being in the mix when I first got into the industry, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, uh, I, I feel like if I would have been open, opened an agency then knowing what I know now, it would have probably been a lot easier for me to just maintain focus and keep the pedal to the metal. Yeah. And I think now, I, I think I, I agree with you. And I think t today, um, I think the insurance companies have clamped down on newbies and they're not opening their doors so much. That's why. All the chatter online, you see, you know, which aggregator should I go to? Who should I go, you know, be talking to that kind of stuff? And, and I just think that it's just a little bit harder today for somebody, um, switching gears, whether they're captive and come to our side or they're just brand new and want to get in the insurance business. I just think it's harder today. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I know what it was like when I was, I had, look, man, I had, I'd established myself. I was already a, by societal and monetary standards, a successful producer before I ever opened Florida Risk. I didn't have to yeah. leave right. to start the agency. Right. And I had, you know, I had carrier relationships that were 10 years plus deep. And it was still hard for me to get appointments. It was still mm -hmm. very difficult for me to be able to get somebody to appoint me direct. And I had to go through wholesalers, um, even for the admitted market stuff that we did. And, it, you know, it became very difficult for me to be able to, not I should say difficult, it just became awkward for me because I would go, mm -hmm. I would close a piece of business, I'd onboard them, and I'd go out to deliver their three-ring binder with their pristinely printed insurance policies in there like we always do, right? And then I'd have to explain why my agency name wasn't at the top. And it got into a, a yeah. whole different set of, set of questions that I really didn't want to have to deal with or answer right. because people just think at that point you don't have as much control over what happens to their account and how are you going to advocate for them and right. claims and everything else yeah. so I, you know if i knew then the aggregators even that's how that's how aloof i was to the actual agency operations things and, and this is six years ago man it's not like this is a couple of decades ago oh, this okay. is six years ago i didn't even know what an aggregator was mm. and people are probably out there laughing thinking that but you know when you're just a producer and all you do is all you're worried about is going out and opening and right. closing you don't have time to worry about where that where the markets are going to come from right. that's what the marketing person does in the agency right. my job was just to keep them busy, as busy as i could Right. And it, it opened a bunch of new doors to me when I when I actually opened the opened the agency and realized, wow, this actually might not be a bad move. Now, the way our agency is set up is I've got a portion of our contracts are direct and the other portion of them are with Iroquois because oh. they have a pretty good presence in Florida. Um, I like their, their, their contract was reasonable. It wasn't nearly the nightmares that I've heard from other aggregators out there. And they had the carriers that I thought that would make sense for us to add to the agency. And so I've mm -hmm. always 
had kind of that bifurcated relationship in the agency so that I could, you know, auto owners is our horse. Auto owners and Chubb mm-hmm. are our horses. That's where we're going to put the bulk of our business. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we're not going to write stuff with Liberty Mutual. We're not going to write stuff with Hartford. Right. I just looked at it and I was honest with myself and said, you know what? I'm never going to write enough with these various companies. And it's not limited to Liberty and Hartford. Those are just the two that I thought of. You know, I'm never going to write enough with them to, justif- for the, to justify them giving us a direct contract. Right. I know that. Right. But I will write enough that it would be nice to have them. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how we how we engage with them and how we've run the relationship. And guess what? Over the course of the last three or four years, we've actually found niche products that we can write with both Hartford and Liberty that mm-hmm. I never even would have taken the time to explore um, right. if if we didn't have them. So right. I do think from from a market access standpoint, they are trying to use aggregators to sort of level the playing field for the newer agent. But let's be real, man. How many how many new agents have the money, right? Like a lot right. of people right. are, are starting. And, and if you're one of these people that's kind of on the fence, let me just give you some advice right now. Don't jump into the agency game until you have the financial wherewithal to do it. Right. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just telling you, if you want my advice, I know what it's like to start with nothing. Because, mm-hmm. again, six years ago, when, when I say scratch, brother, bank account had zeros in it and yeah. everything. And so, you know, we built, Florida, yeah. Yeah, we built Florida Risk from absolutely nothing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't tell you that because I discourage you from coming in. I'm telling you that because there is an easier way to do it. And if you do need to use an aggregator or whatever else, most of them are looking for a large, you know, not large, but they're looking for a percentage of your revenue mm-hmm. or a fee or both. Right. Right. And if you're not yep. in a position to give up a little commission or write a check, then don't don't leave. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this about me or not, but um, I started my own cluster uh, eight years ago. Well, I was so, leaving you there, but I didn't know if you wanted to talk about it or not. That's so fine. Free. Yeah. No, that's fine. I um, started just with three of us, and now uh, we're up to eight. And combined, we're like uh, $19 million, I want to say, $20 million, some, somewhere right around there. And probably by the end of the year, it'll be $22 million, maybe $23 million. And the last three uh, members to join uh, are... Uh, ex Allstate people that have left Allstate. Uh, one guy was at Allstate for like 35 years, and it was his dad's before that. Uh, and then the two women that joined, uh, one was at Allstate like 15 years, and one was at Allstate like 20 years. So uh, they jumped on board with us, uh, found out that um, it cost them $500 a year to belong to our little cluster, um, and that's it. And, uh, it's just been, it's been, it's been great. It's been really great. We got, I think, uh, 18 companies now, I want to say. So, um, so we, we, you know, it's, it's just been great. So, and, and the two people that joined more recently are from Rochester. So we span from Rochester to Buffalo, which is about a 90, 90 mile, uh, difference in cities. So. So what's your goal with that? Are you looking to grow it more than what it is, or I mean, it's we're trying to be more quality than quantity, um, and it's just New York State only because it's probably about ten of our companies are just domiciled in New York. They're all the little co-ops that that like writing property. They don't none of them write uh, casualty. They don't write any auto business. So that's probably about 
eight to ten of our companies. But uh, yeah, we'd like to grow it and just you know maybe keep it manageable up to you know maybe as many as twelve to fifteen members. But that's probably about it. We're not trying to go national or anything with it. Um, you know, just you know one uh, the guy that sort of runs it, uh, one of the original um, guys, one of my partners. He's 72 and the, the other one that started with me he's 71 so um they're on their way out eventually um out of the business so um so we're not trying to grow it you know too uh too big or too um too wide even because um we we did let um two partners in uh that were from new york city and they blew up a couple of our companies because they put they just put bad business on the books and so we had to we had to part company with them and tell them, see you later. So, um, so it's been great though. It's been really great. Yeah. I, I think that it's, it's a necessary thing to have aggregators at this point. I honestly think that it's probably going to grow even more than it already is. And specifically because of the people that are leaving that captive channel and coming over to the independent side, they've got insurance experience, but they don't have like company experience with oh, anything yeah. other than what they're used to. And they're certainly not going to be able to just walk in and get contracts. So that the aggregator model is very attractive to them. I, I would encourage anybody who's interested in writing clean business in the state of New York, that's listening to this. If you have a market access problems and, and you think you fit the bill, I would reach out to Tom. I mean, I, Tom and I don't know each other very well, but we run enough in the same circles that I'm comfortable saying you could probably do a lot worse. I mean, he's a, he's a good man, and he's got a good head on his shoulders, and he's going to push you in the right direction for certain. But, you know, the fact that you booted two people tells me that you're running your your, your cluster right. So Yeah, yeah, it, it just it, it wasn't a good fit. They were trying to fit you know, square pegs in the round holes, and it just... Um, you know, it just it, it it's you know if you if you talk to anybody in New York City and then anybody else across New York State, New York City is a total different animal than the rest of the state, and they act different, they talk different, they are you know maybe they're more rude. You might want to say <laughs> um, it's funny because people in the insurance industry more so company people they say when you go from new york city as you go west more the state gets friendlier and friendlier and friendlier and friendlier <laughs> i've only been in new york technically twice three times i flew through LaGuardia, i flew through jfk but i actually went to new york city one time my wife's from jersey we took the train from uh, princeton in to the city and it was like the last shopping weekend before Christmas. And my mother, I'll never forget, my mother-in-law called and said, what do you think? I'm like, everything's blurry. We have literally sprinted from one place to the next because Annie wanted me to see everything while we were there. I literally like just touched the tip of my toe in Central Park to say that I'd been there and then turned around and yeah. we were lighting candles at St. Patrick's Cathedral. So I, I really would like to get to New York sometime just to spend some time and see the history and, and the architecture and some of yeah. the stuff that's there. But I, I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I don't have an issue with it because in most circles I'm relatively direct too. So I speak that language 
fluently. I just tend to do it with maybe more of a smile on my face and a little bit of <laughs> cushioning on either end of it. So let me ask you this. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, before we wrap up, you're a 30-year-plus veteran of the industry at this point, 20 years as an agency principal. What's one piece of advice you would give to somebody new to the industry that you wish you knew when you got in? And it doesn't have to be in as an agency principal or as a producer or an agent, or you could give a piece of advice from both perspectives, either way. I, I would say uh, find a mentor. I, that'd be my number one piece of advice is find a mentor. Um, it could be somebody that's in a different agency or um, maybe somebody that's retired um, or, you know, somebody in one of the Facebook groups, whatever, but find a mentor, somebody that, that doesn't mind sharing uh, experience that they've been through. Somebody doesn't mind, um, picking up the phone when you call or when you text them, you know, give them an answer or whatever. Um, I think that's number one. Um, I was lucky cause, um, the, when I was a producer, um, my friend, uh, had owned the agency for, Maybe about 10 years, I think, at that point. And um, was it 10 years? No, it wasn't 10 years. It was probably maybe five years. And it was just him and two women in the office. So I basically helped him grow his business because uh, when I left, there was, um, let's see, there was five. No, there was six producers and five staff. And I helped him grow that business. Um, so he, he leaned on me a little bit too, but he was my mentor as far as learning the insurance business and uh, getting my, my feet wet in the insurance business. It was due to his mentorship. So my number one thing would be find a mentor. I agree with that. And if you don't, and if you're like me and you need more than one, find a tribe. And if you don't have, there you yet, go. Find and if you can't find one, create one because there's right. other people who need it. And, right. you know, if, if for all the evils of social media, one of the things that's good about it is the fact it connect, can connect people who have never met each other before but have similar, you know, interests and moral compasses in the same industry. And you can build those relationships online if you're willing to. And the other thing I would recommend is go to the Facebook groups you're a part of and check to see if they even have a mentorship program in them. Mm -hmm. I can tell you IAOA has a formal mentorship program, and I've mentored probably six or seven people that have come through and just signed up and requested a mentor through mm -hmm. IAOA. I had no right. clue who any of them were before they signed up, right. and now they're some of my right. best friends. Right, yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, and that uh, Chris Paradiso's little group um, came out of me mentioning to him, I'm like, why don't we do something with just a small group of, of people and let's put this together. Now this will, I think next month will be, I think the fifth meeting or something like that, that, that um, we put together. It's more him that put together. It's just my idea. I put the bug in his ear, I guess you might want to say, and, uh, and he ran with it, but, uh, but he, he's somebody too that, that um, I greatly respect and I've learned a lot from and, um, I, I've been to his home and I've been to his office and, um, he's just a, a great guy. And, uh, anytime you get the chance to hang around with somebody like him, it's, it's a thrill, really. 100%. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. I think this is a okay. really good episode. A lot of practical advice, good yeah. banter back and forth. I, I appreciate you spending the time. 
uh, to come on with us today and wish you nothing yeah. but continued success. I don't know that I will I will see you before, but if I don't, I will definitely see you in September and in, in Indianapolis yes, for Mr. Paradiso's event. So yep. I look forward yep. to that. Me too. I appreciate yeah. you spending time with me today, Tom. All right, David. Thanks, buddy. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.